the 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I will dine with them and they will dine with me. The Bible has so much to say about food. It's a Baptist. It just works so well with our ecclesiology. I love food. You love food. And I, I think God understands the importance of food and the power of food, and that's why the Bible has so much to say about food. It also is why the Bible has so much to say about fasting. <laughs> because <laughs> Fast food. No, that's not what that means. Uh, <laughs> I've been doing it wrong my whole life. I thought I was so spiritual. And I was thinking, as I was sitting in my, my seat this week at Baptist Hui, listening to a couple of things that were, that were happening, I don't know whether it was inspired by something that was said or if it was I wasn't paying attention and so I was working on something else. I, I, I can't tell you in that moment, but I just had this picture, and it's, it's a simple picture that I want to unpack with you this morning because I saw these two tables. You might have noticed when you came in that there were two tables this morning. And I was thinking about these two tables and what they represent. And there's a couple of things that come out to me that I see in Scripture. And I want to start, so we've already started with Revelation 3.20, but I also want us to go this morning, where have I put my folder that's got my notes in it? I'm just completely making it up as I go, otherwise... Which sometimes goes all right. Titanus. Acts chapter 2. See, have you ever read the book of Acts and gone, I want a church like that? Have you ever read some of the things that happened in the book of Acts and gone, Whoa. you ever read Acts chapter 2 and about the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, the 3,000 people that came to Christ in a day and gone, I want to be an Acts church. I remember having a conversation not so, or a couple of years ago with my friend Cam uh, in Invercargill, who many of you know, uh, and we were talking about this whole thing in Acts chapter 2 about how we want an Acts 2 outpouring without an Acts 2 community. Because it's interesting, you know, when we, if I was to ask you what Acts 2 is about, you go, oh, that's the one that the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, if you know your Bible. If you don't, you'd be like, sir, I have no idea. Uh, but so... And yes, Acts chapter 2 is about the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. But as you've probably seen over the last couple of weeks, I love to take verses that are well-known and then look at what's immediately after them. People go, Matthew 24. I go, let's read 25. And so, you know, this morning, yes, Acts chapter 2. We did a whole series earlier in the year about the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2 is the story of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost and Peter preaching to the crowd. But in the same chapter, not even the next chapter, the very same chapter, it's, it's a response to what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. It's not, but I would go as far to say this, it's the response to what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. But it's also the catalyst. Because when God knows what our response will be, he knows what gift to give. And let, let me clarify that by saying, if you, if you uh, knew someone well enough to go, if I give them this gift, 
gifts, they're probably going to put it in the back of the pantry and never look at it again. You'd probably think twice about giving them the gift. But if you knew, if I give them this, it's going to change their life, it's going to change their world, they're going to use it, they're going to take it seriously, then you'd go, that's the best place for me to give that gift. And so while we see in Acts chapter 2 the response to the giving of the Holy Spirit, I believe because God knew and foresaw that's what the response would be, so it's both the response, but it's also the catalyst too. Does that make sense? So, so Acts chapter 2, yes, it's about the giving of the Holy Spirit, but it's also about what they did in response and why the Holy Spirit felt that it could fall there in the first place. And I want to read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through to 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's the last part of Acts chapter 2. It says this. All the believers, these are the people who've just received and experienced the Holy Spirit. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them. And and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. Man, I've just been asking for once a month. (laughs) They're there every day. They worshipped at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. All the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship Those who were being saved. See, I love all of the book of Acts. I love Acts chapter 2. I love the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but I love this bit. Because it says they devoted themselves to community, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to worship, to life together. And that's what the Holy Spirit inhabited. And as I say, there's, there's, there's a day coming where what we chase and what we devote our time to is going to matter. And I wonder, and I was feeling convicted in this moment, do I live in an Acts 2 community? Do we live in an Acts 2 community? Do we want to live in an Acts 2 community? Or is once a week enough? Now, some of you like go, can you imagine having to see that guy every day? Like, talk to my wife. <laughs> Do we want an Acts 2 community? And so I kind of had this thought, I had this picture of these two tables. And James was talking before about loneliness. He's talking how we can be in a group of people and be lonely. He was talking about needing to hear people's stories. He talked about needing to be honest and vulnerable with others. All of these things are right here. 
Because see, what I saw was this picture of two tables. You got to, how many people have a table in their house, like a, a dining table? They're becoming a little bit of a rare thing. Ours, is, ours makes a really good surface for putting anything but food on, eh? Like, we just load it up with, like, we have a little bit of a joke in our family that if there's a free, service, a free surface, we will put something on it. And so then you go, oh, we need to eat. And you go, oh, gosh. Um, not on the table. You know, so, but there's something about, you know, in fact, in fact, if you're a parent here, there are two things, three things, uh, that they say are, are the most core to well-balanced adult children. If you're a parent and you don't do these things, these three things, and, and they're way simple. Read to your kids. As often as possible, read to your kids. Pray for your kids out loud. And eat meals at the table. Those are the three things that they go like, when they looked and they do, you know, the Dunedin Longitudinal Study, all these different things they look at. Uh, and those are the things. And in a non-spiritual one, they don't chuck prayer in. But if you chuck prayer in, it goes again. But prayer, reading, dinner time conversations, and, and like turn the TV off and just eat together. There's a reason that the Bible has so much to say. And, you know, I remember growing up, like we always used to sit at the table. Yeah? Anyone here ever have the job as a child of sitting at the table? But I remember... It was only my job to set the table when no one was coming. <laughs> Any of your children ever set the table like that? That's rough enough. Because if someone's coming, you break out the good stuff, right? And you want it to look pretty. You want to, you know, like if you ever... This, this one amuses me. If you're dating someone, you will eat food you don't like at places that you don't fit to impress that person. You will pick fancy restaurants that big, big plates with tiny portions. You go, I would just rather have a burger. But there's something about the table, right? And there's something about, you know, or what about this one? You've ever had someone come into your home and it's like, like we've got guests for lunch today and as you walk out in the morning, you're like, hide that, put that. Don't look, all right? Just, it's, we're hidden it well. Because like, we have this fear that our house might look like it was lived in. I'm not throwing you under the bus. I love you. It's my mess. Uh, we, uh, I know you know. But like, we have this whole thing. Like, There's something incredibly vulnerable about the home. And I saw these two tables, and dare I say, these tables kind of spoke to me of my table and your table, or your table and your neighbor's table. And this is what I saw. I saw, I guess, three different scenarios and then a fourth scenario. And I just want to share them. They're real simple. This isn't like profound theological preaching this morning, but it's a simple challenge because we want to be a church that's engaged with discipleship, Engage with fellowship and engage with the mission of God. And when I first started here many, 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 seven years ago, six years ago, feels like many, many, and I went and I sort of met with a couple of different people and asked them to tell me their salvation stories. 
Some of you will remember, I've shared before, like there seemed to be the split somewhere around the age of 50, 50 and below. They went, I gave my life to God at a Billy Graham crusade or at an Easter camp or at an altar, at a church service, at a whatever. And above, there seemed to be this thing, oh, my, my friend, we were having dinner at their kitchen table. And so there used to be something about evangelism that took place at the table, but somewhere along the line, we replaced the table with the altar. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. My life, I came to Jesus because of an altar call at an Easter camp. Well, no, there was a bit more to it than that prior, but there was a commitment moment at an altar at an Easter camp. There's nothing wrong with an altar. We pray for people. People have that opportunity. But this morning, I wanted to bring the table to the altar because I want you to look at the table and I want you to think about the table. And the first thing I want you to think about is your table. And then I want you to think about someone else's table. Because here's what I've noticed, at different times in my life, there have been different postures that I've had to these two tables. There have been times where I have wanted to go, I will eat at your table, but you can't eat at mine. Like, I'll come to your place and we'll have fun and we're whatever, but my place is private. Or my place is vulnerable. And, and please understand me, the table is a metaphor, right? It may be literally eating at someone's table, or it may simply be, I'll talk to you about your life, but I won't share mine. Because mine's messy and mine's painful, and I'm supposed to maintain this kind of thing where everybody thinks the pastor's got their life together. And if you still think that, where have you been? Um, <laughs> but like, I'm supposed to maintain So, So I can come to your table, but you can't come to my table, because if you come to my table, oh, you might see some things. Anybody ever felt like that? Or maybe on the other side, we do this and we go, man, you can come to my table because actually I, my house is clean at the moment. My life's going pretty good at the moment. Uh, the origins of the medieval banquet table were an opportunity to show everybody what I could prepare what I had. Kings and queens would invite people to sit at the table and they would bring the, all the food. They wouldn't dish your plate. They'd bring them and they'd lay them out because the idea was, I want you to see what I have. You can eat at my table because my table's abundant, but I ain't coming to your table because your kids are noisy. Your breath's bad. Whatever it may be. You know? there's, a, there's a time in our not too deep in our not too recent history where it's like, oh, you can come to my table, but I won't come to your table because you're Maori. Or you're poor. Whatever it may be as we look through history. And so some of us have been, and maybe you you can see yourself in one or either of these pictures. Where you, and again, seasonally that changes, right? Because it depends how we're feeling. Sometimes maybe you've gone, maybe you're guilty of being, you can eat at my table, but please don't ask me to eat at yours. Or, I'll eat at your table, but please don't ask to eat at mine. And one of the most astounding things when we look at Scripture is how many examples we see of people who refuse to eat with each other. Jews wouldn't eat with Samaritans. Pharisees wouldn't eat with pretty much anybody. 
Which is why one of the greatest miracles that we see in Scripture is not just the fact that Jesus turns five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 people. It's that those 5,000 people sat down to eat together. (laughs) When you consider who was in that crowd and those people ate together. So the third scenario is this, and this is, I guess, what we start to see in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 where it says they met in each other's homes. And I wonder how much of our life together, if we want to be a church that's engaged in fellowship, how much of our life together happens outside of those doors? I'm I'm preaching to myself. Or how much do we go, we come, we sit, we can be in a group, we can be lonely and we go home. Or maybe we go, I do church and I do life group. And those are my people. There's a reason I said today, I pointed out some people and said, these people, get around them. Because there's things happening in their lives. Good things, sad things, happy things, all of the above things, multiple things. You know, how many people have got multiple things going on in their lives at any given time, right? And so what we start to see is this picture, and, and this, is what, this is what the church was built on. You know, one of the things that made the church stand out is that everybody was welcome. And the whole greeting your brother with a holy kiss thing, like the reason for that is like there were classes of, of like ways you wouldn't do that. And so like it was literally a, a case of going, you're welcome. But see, I love that Jesus in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says it this way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in. And I will dine with you, and you will dine with me. See, I used to think that was a bit of a weird sentence, because it's like, can you dine with someone without them dining with you? It's like, Jesus, you're kind of being unnecessarily repetitive there. Like, that'd be like, you know, if Tiu and I went out for lunch, and I go, no, 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 Tiu had lunch with me. I didn't have lunch with Tiu. You had lunch with me. Tiu's like, I'm pretty sure it doesn't matter what way you said it. There was food and we ate it. Yeah. But I think what Jesus is saying is I stand at the door and I knock. And if you open the door, I will come in and I will eat with you at your table. And this is the story of the gospel that Jesus comes into our table, our mess, our clutter, our whatever it may be. And he says, I will sit down and I will eat with you. But not only that, you will eat with me. You ever done this like, you know, you have some, someone come around to your house and you go, next time we'll go to mine. And it's this kind of like social obligation or like you go out for lunch and next time I'll pay. And we have this weird like competition thing where everything's got to be even. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going, I'll eat at your table, but you'll eat at mine. So not only does Jesus step into our world, our mess, our brokenness, our, or, or, or dare I say, our togetherness, right? When we think, I've got, actually, I've got it all pretty much sorted. The fascinating thing about Jesus is he eats at some pretty wealthy people's homes along the way too. One of the criticisms of Jesus was that he ate with sinners, and then one of the other criticisms of Jesus was that he ate with rich people. <laughs> and it's like, it's almost like Jesus just ate with anybody who would open the door. But then he says, 
I have a table. And you will eat with me. One of the things that happens in the book of Acts, the believers form a community, like we saw. Peter has this vision. I won't go there for time because we're nearly done. And Peter has this vision of a blanket that comes down from heaven with all the things that he's not supposed to eat, like bacon. Why? And the Bible recounts us that the word of the Spirit says to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, I will never let anything unclean touch my lips. And the Holy Spirit says to him, Do not call unclean what God has called clean. And the reason for this entire thing is unpacked. So Jesus turns up at the next meeting of like the Sanhedrin eating pork rinds, right? No, you can't do that! He's like, oh, I can, and I am, and I will continue to because these are good, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> like, I, I'm sure Peter had a moment, like that first time he eats bacon, he's just like, Jesus, why did you withhold me from this for so long? <laughs> You'll eat the whole thing. You, I've seen this, the whole thing on the spit. It's just, I just like the bacon. I, <laughs> uh, there's a pickles joke in there somewhere, but I'm not going there. <laughs> Uh, and so he turns up and he eats this. And we go, why is this story being told? Well, one, because what, what, what's trying to be understood here in this moment is actually Jesus is now calling everybody. Because he's saying, don't call the food unclean. But the, the onflow of that is don't call the people unclean. Stop refusing to eat with people that I want to eat with. Stop refusing to invite people to the table that I want at the table. And Jesus tells two stories about this. He tells a story about a banquet table. And he says, there's this table in heaven. Or he's talking about it. There's a man through a party. And he made it for, and he sent out invites for everybody. But the people who were invited didn't come. And so instead, he sent his servants into the street and said, just bring anybody. Don't worry about the royal people who are invited. Invite the beggars. Invite the least of these. Invite the orphans. Invite the widows. He says, bring them to dinner. And Jesus wants his table full. There's this other story. It's the only time that Jesus ever tells a parable of someone actually going to hell. It's the only time. We have a whole theology built on a couple of things, but the only time that Jesus ever tells a story of someone actually going to hell is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's in Luke chapter 16. Let me read it to you this morning. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. I'll start there. Verse chapter 16, 19 in, chapter, in Luke. And Jesus said to them, he's telling a story to the people. He says, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. 
The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead, or Gehenna, to Hades. And there in torment, this is a facet like, there in torment, he saw Abraham in the distance with Lazarus. Now, you would think at this moment, you would go, I want to be there. Like, let me in there. But that's not what he says. Watch this. The rich man wakes up and he sees Abraham and Lazarus in his torment. And he says, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here. (laughs) To dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. And so now he's here being comforted and it's you who are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. I want to submit to you that the chasm was the rich man. Like we tend to go, the chasm is this thing that God put. No, the chasm is, is, is the rich man going, send him to my table. I still won't eat at his. Jesus' entire message seems to be about these two tables. Because the chasm's been placed. So you separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. And no one can cross over from us to there. And the rich man says, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. <laughs> like, this man hasn't learned anything. Because <laughs> it's still all about his table. And it's still, I will not eat at that table. There's another story. Remember Peter? His bacon. He loves his bacon. We pick up the story in the book of Galatians. Gosh, we've got to land this plane. Galatians chapter 2. And this is a guy called Paul. And like Paul has a, diff- a similar moment to Peter. Like he's got a table and no one's allowed to eat it. But he like gets so dramatically like knocked off his donkey. And there's a way funnier way to say that. Um, but he gets so knocked off his donkey that he has a vision of God and he sees this and he changes his whole life. He ch- God changes his name. And he becomes the writer of most of the New Testament, the most unworthy, the one who probably would have been at this table at one stage for the, uh, for the other apostles. And it tells this story. And I think the only reason that this story and the other story are in the Scripture is so that we can see them. And Paul says, Paul says this. He says, When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. Which, my first question is, how do you know? Like, who's having that dinner party security? Like... The point is, the people who were out, and Peter Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. (laughs) Let Let me put it this way. Peter's church was doing wonderful ministry to a particular area in the community, but then other churches started saying it was ungodly. And so Peter stopped doing it because he didn't want to look bad in front of his friends. 
Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy and they stopped eating at the table that God had told them to eat at. And the challenge that God hit me with this morning is, are there tables that we've stopped eating at? Maybe just each other's. Has church become a place where we come together and we don't engage with the fellowship? We do the discipleship, we do the mission, but then we move on. Because, again, I, many years ago, a sermon on authenticity, I talked about, like, I, I never want church to be the place where we have to turn up to pretend. Like, I've been part of those churches where you have to turn up every Sunday and make sure you look a certain way to fit in. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And so Paul opposes Peter. So my challenge to you, my challenge to me, like I'm not sitting up here, just is which of those first scenarios do we fit into? Are we tempted to let people eat at our table as long as we don't have to eat at theirs? Or perhaps you go the other way and you go, I'm happy to eat at anyone's table as long as they don't have to eat at mine. Or are we imitating Christ whose desire was, I will eat with you and you will eat with me? But then God showed me a fourth picture. And this is the picture of the church. Tia, would you take this away for me? Would that be all right? In the book of Revelation, it finishes by saying, that the feast is prepared for every tribe and every nation. The beginning of Revelation says every tribe and every nation. The end says that the wedding banquet is ready. And I think something happens. When we bring our tables together. And I believe the call for the church in this time is to bring our tables together. To bring what we have. To share what we have. Let me finish by reading this morning and then I want to pray. I want to read Acts chapter 2 to you again. As you reflect on what it might look like for my table and your table to become God's table. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper 
and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all of the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship. Each day, the Lord added to their table those who were being saved. Who do you need to invite to your table? Whose table do you need to go to? And what would it look like if we all brought our tables together to feast with God? Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that your word gives life. That your word convicts us, but it's a beautiful conviction. It's not condemnation, as James touched on this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you were prepared to be vulnerable with us, taking on the nature of a servant, submitting to the punishment of death on a cross, that you would eat at our table. No matter whether we're good cooks or have nice cutlery, you just ask that we hear your voice. But Lord, that you invite us to your table and you send us to the tables of others that we might bring our tables to your banquet, that there would be room for many more at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And would you receive the glory and the honor for all of these things. God, thank you for bacon. <laughs>